Welcome to the JIMD podcast, the companion podcast to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. In fortnightly instalments, we bring you interviews with journal authors, offering some further insights into their research and hopefully providing some educational snippets on your daily commute. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please hit subscribe and never miss an episode, but not before listening to this latest instalment on using CRISPR-Cas9 to validate genetic variants. Hello there. I like to think that the podcast is fairly topical, and yet somehow we've only managed to jump on the CRISPR-Cas9 bandwagon in the last few months. However, we're going to try to catch up quickly, beginning with the discussion of this recent paper, CRISPR-Cas9-based functional genomic strategy to decipher the pathogenicity of genetic variants in inherited metabolic disorders. And I'm delighted to be joined by three of the paper's authors, all hailing from the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Genomics in Hospital Clinic Barcelona and members of the Sabera group. So I have Dr. Antonia Bebez, Dr. Frederick Tort, and soon to be Dr. Gerard Munoz Puyol. Um, Antonia, Gerard, and Frederick, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so we've heard a lot about the use of exome and genome sequencing for screening and diagnostics in rare disease, and it seems to be heralding a revolution in shortening the diagnostic odyssey for families. However, your work highlights the need for caution when embracing these technologies. What's the problem with genomic sequencing? So it's true that the implementation of next-generation sequencing technologies in the last decade has supposed an important improvement in the diagnosis of rare diseases and also, of course, of inherited metabolic disorders. But one of the main problems when we use these technologies for diagnostic purposes is that we generate a huge amount of genetic data. In fact, we generate an important number of uh, variants of uncertain significance. These variants are a nightmare for genetic diagnosis. But I think it's important to clarify this issue. And variants of uncertain significance are those variants in which we do not have enough information or enough knowledge to interpret their effect. And this is the reason why we cannot be sure if these variants could be completely associated or not with the disease. And in fact, this is a, a bottleneck in the diagnostic workflow of inherited genetic diseases. I mean, we are able to generate and manage a huge amount of genetic data, but we still have trouble interpreting the impact of such variants. And therefore, we have trouble in understanding uh, their clinical significance. Certainly, I've seen these reports that come back saying we've got these results and we don't know what to make of them, which as a clinician is very unhelpful because you just want to go back to the family. Clearly, what we need is a better way to understand the relevance of, of these uncertain variants, these VUSs. What's the approach that you've taken? So in most of the cases, to understand the impact of a genetic variant, we need to perform functional studies in the laboratory. As you know, in the case of inherited metabolic disorders, these studies rely on biochemical analysis, which are usually performed in patient tissue samples. Here, in our study, we propose a strategy to face the problem of variants of uncertain significance interpretation using CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. The approach uh, we proposed is based on generating genetically modified cellular models carrying the same genetic variants we identified in patients. The evaluation of the functional impact of the variants in these cell lines will allow us to understand the potential pathogenicity and therefore will help the diagnostic process of these diseases. 
In our study, we generate cellular models for seven genes associated to a variety of inherited metabolic disorders. And this includes mitochondrial respiratory chain complexes disorders, cofactor deficiencies, organic acidurias, and also congenital disorders of glycosylation. I feel like it's almost got too late to ask this now because everyone is talking about CRISPR-Cas9. We've just in the last week had a, a therapy authorised based on it in the UK. I must confess, I don't really understand how it works. Would it be okay for me just to ask for a little bit of a, a primer on CRISPR-Cas9? Yes, of course. Um, the CRISPR-Cas9 is a, a gene editing technology that enables changing, removing or adding sections of the DNA sequence and its simplicity is what has made it a, a revolution. So there are multiple ways of performing a CRISPR-Cas9 experiment, but in our case, we go to the in vitro part. We generate cellular models, as Frederick said, and those models carry the variants of interest identified in the patients. Long story short, when we want to perform a CRISPR-Cas9 experiment, we design two key molecules that allow us to introduce the variant of interest into the DNA. And these are a short sequence of RNA called the guide RNA, which sort of guides the Cas9 enzyme to the right part of the genome. And it makes sure that the Cas9 enzyme will cut the DNA at that point. And then a single-stranded oligonucleotide carrying the variant of interest with homology arms that the cell will use to repair the cut made by the Cas9 enzyme. If we are lucky, the cell will incorporate this donor DNA to repair the cut using the homology-directed repair pathway. So we then obtain a new cell model with the variant of interest identified in the patient. Oh, that's wonderfully explained. So now that I sort of understand that, how do you use that technology to understand the pathogenicity of these different variants? As I said, we, we use this technology to generate cellular models carrying the variants of interest in which we can test the same functional studies we would perform on the patient cells to understand the pathogenicity of each variant. So these models are based in the near haploid human HAP1 cell line. And the main advantage of them is that since they are haploid, editing a single allele is enough to expose the biological effect of a given genetic variant. So these models allow us to study the, the same biological processes we would study in the patient cells in a normal genomic context. And the only difference between the control and the mutated cells is in fact the variant of interest. And does it work? Yes, it does. In, in our study, we present the generation of cellular models for seven already known pathogenic variants in seven inherited metabolic disorders. And it was really interesting when we started to see that the models recapitulated the biochemical abnormalities observed in, in the patients. So additionally, we generated four models for benign variants in four of the same genes and demonstrated that this approach is able to discriminate pathogenic from non-pathogenic variants in an accurate manner, as the models of the benign variants did not show any abnormality that we observe in patients. So for these reasons, we think that this strategy can be complementary to other pathogenicity of functional assessment systems and is suitable for evaluating the pathogenicity of variants of uncertain significance. Sorry, so just for my understanding, this is a, a technique that effectively you can apply knowing just the patient's gene variant without having any tissue material from the patient? Yes. 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 We usually work with fibroblast biopsies. Yes. 
and muscle biopsy. But sometimes this this material is not available from the patients, so we started to move to to these these kind of approaches of generating cellular models. But if we can, we we proceed with the with the skin biopsy and obtain the fibroblasts. But sometimes and frequently happens in inherited metabolic diseases, patients die, and we don't have skin biopsies or muscle biopsy just to prove the disease. So in these cases, it is very appropriate to have these models. Sorry, so with your technique, you are able to show whether a variant is pathological without needing to take skin or to take muscle or even more blood. Yes, just the the exome or genome sequencing, obtain the variant and we can move to the lab and generate the cellular model. At the beginning point, we, we designed the, the experiment of a particular genetic variant. We have to see if the variant is, is located in a gene. So if that gene is expressed in the HAP1 cellular model, because the transcriptome is limited to a huge number of genes, but it can happen that the, that the gene you are studying is so tissue specific, it could be not expressed in the cellular model as it happens for many disorders. But we tested the potential model generation. And for example, if we take the current inherited metabolic disorders classification of approximately 1,400 genes, more than 75% were expressed. So potentially we could be performing cellular models of that 75% of diseases. This is obviously really important work and the validation of uncertain variants is becoming an increasingly necessary part of the genomic workup. Do you foresee this becoming a routine part of the diagnostic pipeline, especially as we open up genomic testing to sort of non-phenotyped patients um, as part of the screening process? Yes, absolutely. As mentioned before, interpretation of the vast number of variants generated by NGS is essential to arrive to the final diagnosis. And in the genomic era in which genetic variants have become the primary entry point for the diagnosis of rare diseases, it is crucial to understand the spectrum of clinical effects that different variants can cause in the same gene and mainly to know if a variant could be pathogenic or not. On the other hand, in the human genome, there are many genes that encode proteins without being associated yet with clinical phenotype. Thanks to the new genomic tools, progress in knowledge is impressive, and frequently new genes associated to hereditary diseases are identified. In these cases, it is of outstanding importance to clarify if the variants found in these new genes could be, in fact, the cause of the disease or not. In the particular case of inherited metabolic diseases, functional validation tests are mainly focused on the identification of the biochemical abnormalities associated to each disorder in patient samples. That is very useful, both guiding the diagnostic process and providing functional evidence to support the interpretation of the genetic data. However, sometimes adequate patient material is not available or it is scarce to perform functional studies. In these cases, generation of cellular models is one of the solutions to the problem. 
our strategy is currently well optimized to study the effect of variants identified in homozygous state in inherited metabolic diseases. However, this strategy is generic and therefore it could be used for other genetic disorders. Interestingly, the time frame to generate and functionally evaluate each cell line model was between two and three months, which aligns with the duration of other common diagnostic tests involving patients' tissue cultures. To this effect, our study could emerge as promising alternatives to invasive tests such as muscular or skin biopsies or when patients' material is not available. I mean, this strikes me as something that it has got such a wide-reaching application, and I certainly look forward to hearing more about it in future. And if you'd like to read more about this work, please click the link in the podcast description or go to the JMD web pages and search for CRISPR-Cas9-based functional genomics. All that remains is for me to say, Antonia, Gerard and Frederick, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, James. Thank, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.